0: Alright, well welcome to everyone in the venue who's now joining us. We are wrapping up today our series, Two Roads, in which we choose the hard path of Jesus. When there is an easy religion, an easy believism, an easy spirituality all around us that doesn't really demand anything from us. A number of weeks ago in this message series, Uh, I gave a message that, for whatever reason, connected with a number of people, and uh, there was a line of people for me to talk with after the service, and we had other prayer partners up front after the service also, and they were being utilized. We always have prayer partners at the end of each worship service here. Um, But I was talking to one person after another, listening to one prayer request after another, And having one conversation after another. And for some reason, that morning they just kind of built up. And I was up here for about an hour. And then, perhaps about one o'clock or so, I I headed toward this exit. And as I got around the exit, ready to get home, uh, another man caught me. (laughs) And uh, he had tears coming down his eyes. He said, Adrian, do you have time for one more? I said, Yeah, of course. And so we sat and we talked, and this is a man that I know pretty well, a man of character and great integrity, and I talked with him and was struck by the tears coming down his eyes as he was uh, sharing with me his concern for a friend of his, and his prayers for this friend of his, and this longing for a friend, and he asked me for my counsel and asked me for prayers and I don't know if I had any counsel to give him, but we hugged and I prayed with him and wept with him. And then he went on. And uh, right after leaving, I noticed he uh, picked up a few of these little plastic wrappers. You seen those from the mints over at the information table? He picked up a few of those that are on the lobby floor. And no one else was around the building at that time except me and picks them up and throws them in the trash. And I was just struck by these two images far from this man's man of integrity. And I was reminded later on in the day as I reflected upon that interaction that choosing the narrow road of Christ is oftentimes done in the ordinary things of life. Excellence in life is not about doing extraordinary things. Excellence in life... Christ-likeness across life is about the little things, such as really caring for a friend who is hurting and being willing to bear his burdens and truly pray over that person, pray for that person, such as giving a care enough to say, I'm going to pick up these little wrappers when no one else but the pastor is looking. And it's this example of excellence in the ordinary And doing those small little steps that leads us down the path to the narrow road. Again, what we've sought to do in this series is step up and boldly say, Jesus does not want cheap grace for us. Jesus wants the road of holiness for us. And cheap grace that is seen all over our culture and easy believism I'll take a little bit of Jesus a la carte and a little bit of this and that that we see all over our culture. We see plenty of it in the Midwest. It changes no one. But the hard road of Jesus, in which we say, I'll choose him even when it's difficult, and I'll pick up my cross, as Pastor Brian said so well last week, even when it's difficult, that makes a difference in other people's lives. It makes a difference in our lives. It turns into abundant life over time. Remember, the, the way to abundance goes through obedience. It's a simple daily decisions. A number of years ago, I had a seminary professor who I really, really loved. His name was Dr. Larry Donathorn, and he taught leadership and theology courses at Denver Seminary where I attended, and I'll never forget a story, though, that he shared. He explained that he was introduced to Christ for the very first time as a 21-year-old in Vietnam. He was a soldier in Vietnam in the army, and he explained that he had never learned anything about Christianity in America until he went to Vietnam and he was introduced to five different chaplains across his tours of duty in Vietnam. And he explained to our seminary class that the first four chaplains had no effect on his life because they lived no differently than any of the other soldiers. First four chaplains he met talked about women the same way as the other soldiers, cussed the same way as the other soldiers, acted the same way and thought the same way as all the rest, so they had no impact on his life. But then that fifth chaplain that God brought into Larry Donathorn's life was distinctly different from anything that he had ever seen before, and that caused him to take notice. And so he started to ask questions of this fifth chaplain about his beliefs and about his Christianity, and he saw in him a humble confidence that he had never seen before and a consistent conviction that he hadn't seen before, and the distinctly different witness from this man eventually became that which led Larry Donathorn to say, I want what this man has, and slowly but surely over time, he began to kneel his heart to Jesus Christ. You fast forward, he then served 29 years as a company commander in the army before retiring from the military. When he retired from the military, he went on to get his Ph.D. in theology, became a seminary professor, and eventually the president of Colorado Christian University. And it began with one chaplain who chose to live a different kind of life. Friends, the road less traveled makes all the difference. Never mistake the power of a distinctly Christian lifestyle. Choosing the way of Christ when the world goes on the easy and wide road that is so very easy makes all the difference. Now, let me explain to you what's going to happen if you really choose to come out of this series and continue to embark on the road less traveled, continue to embark on the difficult road, the narrow road. Up on the screen, you'll see a little diagram. You'll also find that in your handout though this morning. It comes from Jerry Bridges' wonderful book, The Pursuit of Holiness. This is only about 150 pages. I probably read it 20-some years ago. But it's uh, about a 30-year-old book, and it's a wonderful, wonderful little book, Jerry Bridges' The The Pursuit of Holiness. And this diagram comes from this book. And it's basically this idea, if you choose the narrow road, then little bit by little bit over time, you will grow in holiness over time. You'll be choosing pride, excuse me, you'll be choosing humility over pride. You'll be choosing to uh, balance love and grace and truth You'll be choosing not to put people into tribes, but to love all different kinds of people from all different kinds of backgrounds. You'll choose to serve rather than live a life of indulgence and comfort. You'll choose generosity rather than thinking of self Well, with with, whatever you receive. And so the result is if you choose the narrow road, what will happen to all of us is bit by bit, year after year, decade over decade, we will grow in holiness. It may be kind of like a sine curve, up and down, up and down, up and down. But if you plotted it, it would look like this, a growth in holiness. Now, the wonderful thing, though, that Bridges notes here in this book as he's talking about, though, this graph, is that as we grow in holiness, what will happen is we'll see this. God's holiness is even greater than our holiness. You see the second line. And as you see, as you grow in your understanding of God's holiness, you begin to see this incredible delta between our spirituality, and our character, and our integrity, our holiness, and God's, which in one sense kind of leaves us a little bit frustrated that he is so much more holy, the, than we are, and we start to get a little bit disappointed, but in another sense, this is the very best thing for us, because what does that do? It leads us to our knees, it leads us to more worship, for who God is, unique, unique, and set apart, it leads us to acknowledge our need more and more every day for the mercy of God, which is what prevents Christianity from getting boring, by the way. It's the pursuit of holiness. Year after year, decade after decade, that there's always more we can go after and we always see the delta between us and God even growing which leads us to a greater sense of worship before Him. We recognize our need. This is what happens as we grow in the road of holiness, leads us to greater worship. Perhaps this is beneficial for you as a reminder as we march now toward Good Friday and Easter week. We see God's holiness demonstrated most prolifically on the cross, of our Lord Jesus. For it was Jesus who walked the narrowest of roads, didn't he? It was Jesus who walked the narrowest of roads. It began in Matthew chapter 20 about a week before he went up to the cross and he began in a town called Jericho, after he decided to make his descent into Jerusalem. And he came to Jericho, and then he went up to the Mount of Olives. And as he goes up past Bethany and Bethpage and up to the Mount of Olives, from the Mount of Olives, he would be able to look down into old Jerusalem and see that beautiful, glorious city and the temple down below. And his heart is broken within him over the fact that his people have rejected him. And then he goes into the Garden of Gethsemane where he begins to weep and he asks his closest friends to join him in prayer and he's weeping and he says, God, not my will, but your will be done and he goes far from there to seeing another one of his friends, one of his closest twelve, actually betray him into the hands of the rulers of the day. And Caiaphas, the ruler of the Jews at the time, and Pilate, the ruler of the Romans in that province at the time, they join hands in this moment as they agree to crucify Jesus. And he is whipped and scourged to the point of death, at which point they put a crown of thorns over his head and strip him down naked, and he is given a couple logs to carry up the Via de la Rosa to the point that he would go all the way up Mount Calvary and he would be crucified for your sins and for mine, giving himself up for the world. It was the narrowest of roads. Once again, a week before Easter, it began like this in Matthew chapter 20, starting now at verse 17. Now, Jesus was going up to Jerusalem, up the hill, that is, to Jerusalem. On the way, he took the twelve aside and said to them, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man, which is actually a reference to his divinity not to his humanity, he's calling forth Daniel 7 language, the Son of Man is coming in glory to judge the living and the dead. He says, that's me, I am the Son of Man who will judge the living and the dead. The Son of Man will be delivered over to the chief priests and the teachers of the law. They will condemn him to death and will hand him over to the Gentiles to be mocked and flogged and crucified. On the third day he will be raised to life. He promised all of this but before it happened. Verse 25 goes on like this. Jesus called them, the twelve, together and he said, You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you. That's not the way we do it. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must be your slave. Just as the Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve, And to give himself, give his life as a ransom for many. And after instructing his disciples on leadership, he heals a couple men and then he makes his voyage on Palm Sunday. As they approached Jerusalem and came to Bethpage on the Mount of Olives, Jesus went, chapter 21, Jesus, Jesus sent two disciples saying to them, Go to the village ahead of you and at once you will find a donkey tied there. On them for Jesus to sit on cloaks are on one he is on the donkey he's not riding them both at the same time a very large crowd spread their cloaks on the ground in worship of Jesus while others cut branches from the trees and spread them on the road the branches were a symbol of victory in Israel they would cut branches and they would wave them back and forth to say the victorious one is coming The crowds that went ahead of him and those that followed shouted, Hosanna to the son of David. Literally, God save, son of David. The Messiah of the long-awaited lineage of David is here. God save. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. God save, Hosanna in the highest heaven. When Jesus entered Jerusalem, the whole city was stirred and asked, Who is this? The crowds answered, This is Jesus. The prophet from Nazareth in Galilee. Would you pray with me? Oh, Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus and his willingness to march on this narrowest of paths. We thank you, Lord, that he was willing to give it all up even for us. We thank you, Father, that he redefined greatness for us, even in this passage, even in the way that he defined leadership for his disciples. And we ask now, though, this morning that you would guide us in the remainder of our time together. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O God, our rock and our redeemer. Amen and amen. As we wrap up our series here, titled Two Roads, I hope you'll take with you this one Simple idea that serves as a summary for all that we have done these past eight weeks. The wide road to greatness is paved with pride, power, and accumulation. The wide road of this world, the kingdoms of this world, all the different kingdoms of this world, greatness in them is paved. With pride, power, and accumulation. There's a different road to greatness. And the narrow road to greatness in Jesus, in the kingdom of God, a different kind of kingdom, is paved with different qualities called simplicity, humility, and service. That is the currency in the kingdom of God. And it stands in stark contrast to the currency of the kingdoms of this world. Can somebody please tell me what it was that Jesus rode into Jerusalem on? A donkey. Can somebody please tell me what the Son of God who spoke and the universe leapt into existence, who created the universe out of nothing, what did the Creator God ride into Jerusalem on? Just indulge me here. Can somebody please tell me what God's own Son Chose to ride into Jerusalem on when he went about completing the most catalytic and the most important event in all of history, the redemption of humankind. What did he ride in on? Oh man, he rode in on a donkey. They should have known. Actually, it was prophesied several hundred years before the time of Christ. Zechariah nine says this: "Rejoice greatly, daughter Zion." Shout, daughter Jerusalem, see your king comes to you, righteous and victorious, lowly, lowly. Riding on the foal of a donkey. And here's Jesus fulfilling that Old Testament prophecy and simultaneously redefining greatness for us. The entire portrait of Jesus entering into Jerusalem stands in stark contrast With the world standards of greatness. As we all know, uh, Jesus' success, Jesus' greatness was was complete. I mean, he he accomplished everything that he set out to do. Every single thing that the Father gave him to do, he did it. All of his purposes stood. Every goal that he had in coming to the earth. All of world history rises and falls in the anvil of the death and the resurrection of Christ. It couldn't be a starker contrast to the standards of greatness and success in our world. We all know that every day we are judged on these things. How much accumulation do we have? Right? I mean, people are judged based on their cars and trucks. And the size of their houses. And the kind of clothes they wear. And if they're leaders, how much power they exert over other people. And Jesus redefines all of that when he says, I did not come to be served, but to serve. And I ride into Jerusalem lowly on the back of a donkey. His greatness was never about pridefully lording it over anyone his greatness was never about the raw demonstration of power just for the sake of showing off his power. Indeed, when he came to become a human, he limited his power. He voluntarily limited himself by taking on human attributes and not displaying all of the power that he could have. His life was never about material wealth and accumulation and all of its trappings. He came into Jerusalem on a donkey. I was talking to some friends here at this church a number of weeks ago, at the beginning of this message series, about the topic of holiness. And I asked them if they would come in and visit with me, but because I know this topic is very important to them, and we had talked about it a little bit in the past. And uh, this is a couple that is so deeply respected in our church community and out in the broader community as well. And they are people of grace and dignity, people of integrity, people who have been successful people who are incredibly kind. They've been successful in terms of their professions. They've been successful parents and grandparents. They've been part of this church for many decades. And their success, they would say 100% of the times is due to the grace and the glory of God. And they're deeply concerned about the Big C Church, not specifically this church, but yes, this church too, the Big C Church, and how it hasn't necessarily been pursuing the narrow road of Christ of holiness, and and oftentimes the Big C Church is, is looking more and more like the world. Have you noticed? And so I asked if they would come in and talk with me about that, and I asked them this question. How have you noticed that the church's pursuit of holiness has changed over the decades? And why do you think that is? And whenever they speak, I take notes, and the gentleman responded very concisely, and he said, our prosperity in America has become a roadblock to our holiness. We didn't intend for it to be that way, he noted. We don't want it to be that way, but Satan used it for that, and our prosperity in America has become a roadblock to our holiness. I'm not hearing any amens in the room. <laughs> but this is true. This is profoundly true. Prosperity is a good gift from God. But it's kind of like sex. It can be dangerously misused, can it? Prosperity is like that. It's a good gift from God, but it can be dangerously misused. I don't know many things, but I am a student of Christian history. And I will tell you this. As a student of Christian history, we are in a unique time in 2019. Up until about a generation ago, Christians across every stripe and across every century, across every generation, were regularly asking themselves, not how much can I get to enjoy for myself, but how much might God enable me to earn so that I could expand what he wants done in the world. Or put another way, Christians have always asked this question, how can I simply live, how can I live simply so that others may simply live? And, and I mean, Christians have been united in this across the centuries, across the generations, until recently, and I think the reason they've been united in this is is the recognition that prosperity has a way, though it's a gift of God, prosperity has a way of dampening our passion, does it not? It makes us so comfortable if we are not careful and if we are not aware of the fact that prosperity can make us comfortable and kind of rest on our laurels, and if we're not careful, lose our zeal for the living God. This is deeply concerning. As I listen to this couple and as I've seen it in my own life over the years, I reflect on the Gospels and I reflect on so many different passages that speak to this in the scriptures. And one that came to my mind this past week is uh, the writings of Agur at the end of Proverbs, not the writing of Solomon, but because his prosperity did him in, but the writings of Agur at the end of Proverbs go like this Please, God, please, give me neither poverty nor riches but give me only my daily bread. Why? Did he pray that? Why do he pray that in the Proverbs? Because if I have too much, I may be inclined to disown you, God. If I have too much, I may just kind of go out on my own, God. If I have too much, I may become de- independent as opposed to dependent on you and interdependent with others. But Don't give me poverty either, Lord, bud, because then I might steal and defame your name. I mean, it's just a brilliant, brilliant prayer. I'd be inclined, actually, to to agree with the summary statement of that man that I just noted. When I became a Christian some 22 years ago, these qualities of simplicity and service and humility were prized far more in the church than they are Today. I don't know exactly why that is, but I do have the suspicion that it's because of something that has developed in America over the past 25 years that is called the prosperity gospel. Many of you guys know what this is. Some of you don't. But the prosperity gospel is basically this idea that God wants you to be healthy and wealthy and happy. And the main aim that God has for your life and mine is to give us a happy little life full of health and wealth. And this has gained so much steam in America. It's incredible over the past 25 years. It's now actually being exported overseas to all kinds of other vulnerable countries from our country to others. And it's a false gospel that says the aim is happiness and wealth, not holiness and self-sacrifice for the kingdom of God. It's seen all over, the, all over the place, in the bookshelves of Christian bookstores and on TV. I think it's seen most viciously, perhaps three or four years ago, well, when a pastor in America lost the use of his private jet and embarked on a church fundraiser and a ministry fundraiser to purchase a new, luxury, private, ultra-luxury, $65 million jet. And through his give to get theology. You give to God, and he will give more back to you. And last time I checked, that'll always be a popular message. You give to God, and he's going to give you a whole lot more back. And he's going to give you health and wealth and lots of happiness. I mean, that's always going to be a popular message, won't it? Because there's lots of vulnerable people out there. And through that message, he got his luxury jet. And now he goes off to these various international ministry conferences and whatever else in this luxury jet. But can someone tell me what Jesus flew into Jerusalem on? Mm, mm -mm. I don't mean to be critical here. I really don't. But as a pastor here, I want to protect you when you see this stuff on TV and when you read this stuff in books. It's not the gospel. And it contributes to that roadblock to our own holiness. The truth is, 95% of the pastors that I've ever met are amazing. They are people that are in it for all the right reasons not for pride, not for accumulation, not for power. I am so grateful to, to be a part of the pastoral fellowship in Carney and to worship with them and lead with them as we go to Good Friday, the, this coming Friday evening in the Buffalo County Fairgrounds. And I love the other pastors in this community. We have tremendous pastors in this community. I hope you like pastors too every once in a while. <laughs> I, I mean, 95%, maybe 99% of the pastors. But there's this sliver that teach this false message That is leading us down a path, not toward holiness, but to the false pursuit of happiness. Not toward giving it up for others, but to seeking to acquire more for ourselves. And when you hear that on the television, when you hear it on books that you're reading, turn the other channel, put that book down, because it's a roadblock to our holiness. Listen again to the contrast provided by Jesus in this passage. Matthew 20 You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over people Not so the Son of Man The Son of Man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life up as a ransom for many This is God the servant And yet at the same time, what we see in this portrait is he goes into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday, God receiving worship as people are singing out, Hosanna to the Son of David, Hosanna to the long-awaited Messiah, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, God save to the King, highest in heaven. He was King, and yet he exercised his kingship in a completely different manner. He was great, but his greatness did not mirror the greatness of the wide road in this world. His greatness was seeking not his own, but to serve and to give himself up for us. This is the life that Jesus lived. This is the life of the narrow road. It's the most pure and beautiful and radiant life ever lived. It is the life of joyous service rather than power. It's the life of simplicity rather than accumulation. It's the life of humility rather than pride. It's the life of picking up one's cross and dying for the world through which we would say, yeah, I'll pick up my cross and I'll give it all up for you, Lord Jesus. He didn't come into Jerusalem on a Bentley or Tesla or a luxury jet or a private helicopter. He came in on a donkey. He wasn't even walking in on a stallion armed with swords and shields he walked in on the most common animal armed with nothing more than his body and blood and by his body and blood he won the victory for souls both today and forevermore and that's what we're going to celebrate on Friday and next Sunday would you pray with me Lord Jesus, we thank you that you are so supremely different. We thank you, Lord Jesus, that you give us an image of greatness that is profoundly different and profoundly better from anything that we see in this world. And as we come to the end of this series, Two Roads, we just want to declare together as a church community that we choose the narrow road of Christ. Even if it's the road of simplicity and humility and service and sacrifice, God, we choose your road. We want to be difference makers more and more for your kingdom. and So we ask, God, that you would conform us little bit by little bit more and more to the image of your Son, our Savior, Jesus Christ. As we come to a conclusion in this series, I I wonder if... If there's one area of life that you say, I I need to walk on the narrow road more in this area, and I need your help, Lord God. Would you just share that with the Lord in the quietness of your heart right now? Just tell God, I need your help to walk in the narrow road in this area. Father, we thank you that you help us. We don't do this on our own. We could not pursue holiness by ourselves. We are deeply in need of your mercy, deeply in need of your grace, deeply in need of your strength. And we thank you, Lord, that as we look to Good Friday and Resurrection Sunday, in Jesus, you have provided that for us again and again and again. So I pray for our entire church that you would do that even this week as we contemplate once again the sacrifice of our Savior to bring us to God. In whose name we pray, amen.